West Virginia Writers Podcast bonus episode number one. Hola, listeners, and welcome to the first ever bonus episode of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. The reason this is a bonus episode and not a regular one is that I'm all about recycling and using our precious natural resources and not wasting them when I can at all avoid it. I take that attitude with my soda pop cans, and I take it with the writers who've been so kind as to let me interview them. See, back when I first started this podcast, I decided to try to be all professional and stuff, and keep each show to a strict 20-minute time limit. Mostly this is because of the training drilled into me at Radio Boot Camp, at which everything must be made to sound as smooth and consistent as possible, and each guest get the same amount of time. Part of it also, I'm sure, is to let my inner OCD self feel all warm and snuggly when it comes to seeing that nice straight column of 20-minute running times line up on my iTunes podcast page. Trouble is, with each of the interviews I've done, I've had to trim out chunks of material to fit that 20-minute time limit. And most of the time, the chunks I've trimmed out aren't bad at all. They just maybe aren't as germane to the topic being covered as the ones I kept. However, I've saved those trimmings. Originally, I did this with a mind to do some sort of DVD outtakes episode for filler when I didn't have a guest otherwise lined up. Now that we've moved into a bi-weekly format, though, that's not so much of a problem. So what I'm going to do with this material instead is take advantage of this bi-weekly format to introduce some of this material in the off-weeks between our regular episodes. And for my added sanity, I'm going to keep things simple and not fuss around with music or timing or credits or any of that sort of thing. It'll just be me setting up the material and then letting the interview subjects do the rest. Because Granny Sue Holstein gave me lots more material last week than I could use in that episode, I decided she'd be the very first bonus episode subject at hand. During the interview last week, she spoke about how, when she first started out as a librarian and would frequently read stories at schools, the teachers would often ask her to tell stories to their classes. She would protest, saying she only read the stories, but they insisted that she tell some. I wondered how they were able to sense that she had that storytelling ability in this regard. So that's what I asked her. Oh, and I, I think, it, it again, it goes back to being one of 13 children, because with that many people competing for the floor, you, your story had to be good for the others to listen. And I think that taught us to hone what we said down to what was important to hear and to tell it in a lively and entertaining way. One of the topics we covered was the National Storytelling Festival taking place in Jonesboro, Tennessee. I've only been to it once back in 1999, but I was absolutely amazed at the amount of talent on display there on so many different stages, not to mention the vast amount of people who come to this thing from all over the world each and every year. That and the beauty of Jonesboro itself is rather breathtaking. Yes, it is. It's a beautiful place. I intend to go this year and watch Bob McWhorter get his award. And another one of our guild members is Eloise Shetler, and Eloise will be on stage there at the Exchange Place this year as a new voice in storytelling. And Eloise actually got some of her start from the West Virginia Storytelling Guild because, and the West Virginia Storytelling Festival because she came to the first, I think, five festivals, and each year would get on stage at the open mic and go to the swapping ground and, and share a story. And now she's a very well-respected uh, storyteller up in the Washington, D.C., Maryland area. Another teller that um, was part of our guild and part of our storytelling festival is Bill Lepp. Bill Lepp, of course, is known as West Virginia's biggest liar, and now Bill travels internationally telling stories, and he's a well-known name, featured annually down at the National Storytelling Festival. What's the best way for someone interested in getting into storytelling to try to get their feet wet at it? 
Attending conferences, certainly. Joining a local guild, I would say, is absolutely very important. In West Virginia, we have a statewide guild. It's difficult for us to get together in one place. We do manage it a few times a year. You know, we have the West Virginia Storytelling Institute at Fairmont State University. That happens at the beginning of April each year. This will be the third one coming up. Um, we have the national storytelling conferences, but basically joining a local guild is an important way. I still say the Storytell Listserv is about the best because you meet storytellers from all over the world on that listserv, and you can learn a lot from all of them. Finding other storytellers and working with them and learning from them is absolutely the most important way, I think. And there are always books that you can that you can learn from. Um, libraries have lots of books put out by the uh, National Storytelling Association. Uh, other storytellers publish books. There are books by uh, storyteller Margaret Reed MacDonald or some of the ones that started me out as far as learning new stories and how to tell stories. Now, you do a lot of speaking and programs all throughout the state. And in fact, I got to attend one of those storytelling performances of yours at a state park in Greenbrier County back in 2006. It was memorable not only for your performance, but also because your husband nearly set my face on fire. <laughs> oh, that carbide lamp. Yes, yeah, he was trying to demonstrate one of the carbide lamps on the, the coal mining helmets that you had there. And I got in kind of close so I could see what he was doing. And it turns out the fumes from the carbide had kind of built up there in his hand, so when it finally did light, it made a giant fireball that nearly singed off my eyebrows. That lamp still traveled with me. Not good, but people are still fascinated by that. It's amazing how many people have never seen a carbide lamp or don't know about things like, you know, the miners' helmets and what they use for light down in the mines. <laughs> but I remember you being there. That was a very a very fun performance. And for me, part of the fun uh, of storytelling in a place like that is meeting people afterwards and talking to people afterwards. Always somebody tells me a ghost story or, an, or a story about something that happened to them. I remember that one at Green Bar State Forest. A lady told me a ghost story about the house that she lived in. Uh, so every time I tell a story, I get a story. Oh, well, that's a neat way to pick up new material. It is. It is. And actually, some of the stories I have um, learned that way have become part of my repertoire. You have a very active blog called Granny Sue's News and Reviews, which is a daily blog that focuses primarily, as you say on it, on storytelling, writing, life, and all that intervenes. Mm -hmm. I've been reading this here for a while. How did you start on your blog? That happened, my father passed away in October of 2006. My mother had passed away just about 10 months prior to that. And I found that I needed to write, and I needed to write a lot. And so I was writing a lot of poetry, and <laughs> most of it was pretty dark, um, mostly grieving poetry, I suppose you would call it. And I, did, I found that I needed some other way of communicating. Now, I had thought about a blog before. I had actually started one in 2003 and had just dropped it. And that was when my father had first gotten ill. So I decided I would try writing a blog and see how that went. I had kept a journal prior to that anyway, a written journal. And so I thought I'd try a blog, and I found I liked it very much. I, I liked writing it, and I was very astounded when people started reading it <laughs> and commenting on it. And now, now the blog um, has really stretched my horizons. I have uh, quite a few people who read it every day, 
And actually, one of my readers um, is a lady in Ireland who came over to the States last winter, bought a house in Clarksburg, which they intend to use as a summer home, and came down to visit us about two weeks ago. We had a Sunday afternoon together, and it was absolutely marvelous. It was you know, it, it was like meeting um, a sister that I had never known before because we'd gotten to know each other so well online. So, so the blog, it, it helps me explain life in, in West Virginia to people. I think people are astounded at how beautiful our state is, how much variety is here, and what kind of life you can actually have here. Most of what people hear about West Virginia seems to be kind of negative. But I like telling people about what's the best of this state, and that's what I try to do there. Well, I am a big advocate for blogs, especially when they're well done, which yours is. You have lots of photos to go along with it as well, which really adds another layer to the quality of everything. One of the workshops you've done lately is called Blogging for Storytellers. What's your approach to blogging for storytellers? That was intriguing. That was a challenge thrown out to me by the Fairmont Storyteller, or the, um, the Mountain State Storytelling Institute that's held at Fairmont State University. She said, you do a blog, why don't you teach others to, to do a blog? And so... My approach to that was just teaching them the basics, you know, how, how to find a blogging site, how to structure your blog. Basically, it's thinking about what you want the blog to be. Do you want it to be only about storytelling? Do you want it to be a family history blog? Do you want it to be a promotional blog for yourself? Do you want it to be a blog where you are sharing folk tales? What is it you want from your blog? My, my blog is like a quilt. It's a quilt of um, my life here in the mountains, every, every portion of it, except for my job. I leave my job out, and I advise people when they're planning to write a blog to think about what they're putting out there because you don't have any idea who your readers are, and so you need to really think about that since your readers are probably going to be people all over the country, all over the world. What is it you want people to know about your life? And that's very important to think about in advance. And the other thing about writing a blog is thinking about your layout. What is it you want on that blog? Do you want contact information? Do you want them to know what materials you've written? Do you want them to know other blogs that you read and enjoy? What is it that you want people to know? And lay out your blog. Think about what you want. And go through the templates. Go through the different gadgets that you can add to your blog. Think about those things prior to actually writing it. When I, when I started mine, I, I didn't do that. I just started writing, and I learned as I went along. But I learned that you know it, it's important to kind of plan out. After I'd been blogging for about a year, I went through and revised my template to make it cleaner, to make it easier to read, to make it stretch across the screen, you know, to include more pictures because pe- people like the photos. That gets a lot of comments. The photos do. And it, it keeps an interest on that page. So there, there's a lot of things to think about. You know, how do you want to design your header? Do you want a, tie, a, a tagline? What is it you want that page to look like? Drawing it out on paper in advance is maybe not a bad idea. It, it, you know, it's, it's a way of getting your name out there because as I've been writing my blog and writing book reviews, I've had authors contact me. I was able to meet um, West, an author called, uh, named Francis, Fran Cannon Slayton. Frank Cannon Slayton is a, a writer who lives in Virginia, but her family roots are in Rollsburg, West Virginia. And because I had written something about Rollsburg, she had found my blog. And I, when I followed the link back to her blog, I found out that she had written this book set in Rollsburg, West Virginia. 
And so I contacted her, and we emailed back and forth, and she sent me a review copy of her book. I read it. It's an awesome book, and I let her know that. Well, she's gone on. Her book has gone on. It's won quite a few good awards. It's a school library journal starred review. It's one of them that I remember. But her book is getting a lot of good buzz out there. And when she came to Charleston to present uh, her book in a book talk at the Kennel County Public Library, I was able to meet her, go out to lunch, and we found out that we had attended the same very small Catholic elementary school in Manassas, Virginia. So, yeah, the world is a very small place, and her parents knew my parents. I would never have met her without my blog. And whether, you know, other books have come my way. People have sent me books to review, and I read their books, and I, I post reviews about those on my blog. So that, that has been an extra dimension that I hadn't planned on. I was writing reviews just because I found books that I liked and wanted to write a review. But people found my blog through that, and I've developed these other – it's like another network opened up. So a writer can actually get their name out there and known by keeping a blog. Well, that about wraps things up for our very first bonus episode of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'd like to thank Granny Sue Holstein once again for the interview and for bearing with me through some rather nasty technical difficulties that we had. Seems the wireless router I'd bought for cheap off Woot... Oh, excuse me. Yes? Do you need to go potty? Oh, no, not potty. Well, we'll save, we'll save the story of the wireless router that I bought for cheap off Woot.com. For some other time. Instead, please join us next week for our regularly scheduled podcast, in which hopefully no dogs will creep into the studio and demand I take them potty immediately. Join us next time on the podcast. <laughs>